Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd App Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except we don't actually know if you never read the book. This month, we are discussing Micaiah Johnson's The Space Between Worlds. It's a super thoughtful and action-packed sci-fi novel with a lot of heart. If you have not read the book and you do not want any spoilers, you're in luck. There is a spoiler-free author interview in the feed. That is what you should be listening to, because today we are going to unpack the out of this book. <laughs> My guests this month are Northwestern lecturer Ariane Nettles. Hi, Ariane. Hello. And we have the co-host of NPR's Throughline podcast, Ramtin Arablui. Ramtin, hey. Yo, how are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. I'm ready. Yes. Okay. So I'm really curious if each of you are typically sci-fi fans, like Ramtin, especially like, is this a book that you would have picked up if I hadn't been like, hey, dude, do you want to read this book with us for book club? <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm a I'm a huge sci-fi um, uh, nerd, if that's the right word. It's my favorite genre of book to read. So I was super excited. Oh, awesome. Um, I had seen this book on a list of books that someone had recommended to me that were coming out um, this year to check out. So, you know, having the occasion to not only read it, but then chat with you all about it was, was very exciting. So, yeah, this is and I think you'll see as we get into it, I've. You know, as I read the, the as I read this book, I compared it to a lot of the other sci-fi books that I've read and some of the themes that they touch on, and I think really clever ways yes. that Micaiah kind of diverted from those and challenged some of those underlying sci-fi themes we see a lot. Oh, I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. Um, Ariane, I know a little bit more about your reading habits because you and I kind of have like a just two-person book club where we read a yep. lot of the same books together yep. kind yep. of constantly. Um, do you think this is a book that you would have come across if I hadn't forced it into your hands? I mean, I would have, but I would just say that I am newer to sci-fi. So like the last couple years newer. And so now I, I'm just really into it right now. And it's kind of my new thing that I love to chat with people about. You're expanding your horizons. Yes. And my dad, (laughs) who is a Star Wars, Star Trek person is finally it's like he's like yes my child you're finally (laughs) you're finally you finally belong to me well I mean I think what you're kind of hinting at is something that's super true which is that like I think especially in the last like five-ish years the genre has diversified a lot and it's so exciting to see because you end up with books like this that are just great you know right totally yeah absolutely so let's do Let's do like a quick synopsis. It's always tricky to just like try to figure out how much to really, especially with a book like this, which is super plotty. Um, I'm going to try and do Mm -hmm. mostly like plot point stuff. And then we can kind of dive into details as we want to around themes and stuff. But I think just sort of for like for the sake of overarching setup. This story is about multiverses. There are 380 Earths. Um, The farther out you go from Earth Zero, 
the more different the timelines are and the people are on each of those Earths. There's a Steve Jobs type guy, Adam Bosch. He has figured out how to make travel between all of those worlds possible, but it really only works if you're already dead on the other world, which makes Kara, who's a young black woman, she was born to an an impoverished mother. She's like the perfect person to travel between worlds because she's already dead on pretty much every planet except eight of them. Um, Before we dive in, let's listen to a voicemail from a listener. Here is Claire from Dallas, Texas. Holy cow, it is amazing. I feel like there was so much content that I just like absolutely could not put it down. Like it was simultaneously giving me an existential crisis while also like still being entertaining and interesting. And I felt like the main character, Kara, had an absolutely good worldview and understanding on how all of the things in different worlds play together. I loved how it was basically like five books shoved into one. Um, I loved how we got setting and we got background in like multiple different worlds. Um, The things that went on in Earth 175 were already mind-blowing as it was, and I felt like the book could have ended after Kara left 175 and then we still got more content and we still got all sorts of things going on it was just very well done i have never finished a book club book this quickly before i think i read it in four total days um but i am so excited to have read it and i'm really looking forward to the podcast i just loved what claire said about how it felt like five books in one because it was as i was sitting down to try and like outline like okay how are we gonna get through actually talking about this book it was like so much stuff happens. Claire brought up so many good points about how um, I don't think I knew what to expect. And once you get into the book, it's like, wait a minute, these are statements that she kind of just slides in here. It's like you'll get a little bit of social commentary in the first um, few pages even of the book. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, how did we get here? I wasn't expecting that. And I think that it was just such a like pleasant surprise. And it really kind of um, drew me in even more where there are so many pieces to the type of book this even is. So maybe on the surface, you know, we're like, yeah, it's sci-fi, but it really is a lot more than that. So I think that's what I actually probably enjoyed the most out of it. Yeah, well, and you kind of referred to one of the first sentences in the book, which is so gorgeous and heartbreaking and incredible. Even worthless things can become valuable once they become rare. That is the grand lesson of my life. Like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, there's so much that happens in the plot of this book that it's still sometimes, even I like finished it like two days ago, and it's still hard for me to wrap my brain around it. But the larger themes, as Ari just mentioned, uh, around what life is, how little decisions are imp- impact your life and your quote-unquote timeline of your life, the underlying kind of power structures in that, and the way that Kara experiences that on multiple Earths um, are the things that stick out for me, Is are the things that really um, I felt deeply, along with just feeling very connected to, the main, to Kara, the main character. Those are things that stick out for me more so than just the kind of twists and turns that happen throughout. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's partly what makes, I mean, this is one of my favorite kinds of books because it, it, I kind of feel like it checks all the boxes, you know, like it's, as Claire said, like it's super propulsive. It's kind of hard not to put it down once you pick it up or it's hard to put it down once you pick it up. And 
And it's about it like asks a lot of really important questions and and poses some really interesting answers. But it's also just like, you know, it's a little salacious. We have Kara flirting with her boss, Dell, which is like kind of sexy and fun. And like it just has all the things, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to like the idea of the power struggle and like with the well the the systems of power mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. that like make each world that makes the inequities on each world that's something that we don't really see if like let's say you know we're talking about the multiverse um like the idea of the multiverse in let's say marvel where you know the last couple of years marvel has had like really really big years i mean it's always big but mm-hmm. like especially recently and so watching that where maybe there is an event that makes you know characters different but like diving into this book it's so different on that end because it's like wait a minute like if you are poor and a person of color on all of these worlds, right? Like it's more likely that you're dead by this point because of all of those things, you know? And I think that that was like really like probably the biggest gut punch for me was when she talks about like, well, out of all of these worlds, I'm pretty much dead on almost all of them but eight. And these are like, when she lists like the reasons I've died, you know? Yes, Um basically whether it was because she was neglected um she was just in the wrong place the wrong time like i mean that was probably like my first like wait a minute hold up this book is something different than what i may have expected yeah i think it really is it's like a counter argument to the whole like pull yourself up by your bootstraps narrative right because here you are in like literally in hundreds of different iterations if you're born on the wrong side of the wall that's it like there's nothing you can do no matter how hard you try you're still a victim of these really brutal circumstances even if things go a little bit better for you in one world than the other uh what i find fascinating is kara kind of always ends up in the same place mm-hmm. you know whether her mother you know marries the 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 preacher or not or whether her mother kills her in one uh, world or not, or her mother neglects her in one world or not, she kind of always ends up under the under the boot of power, um, which is just such a devastating idea. And that and that thing that brings me to a couple of ways that I think this book really got me excited. A couple of ways in its world building that it defies a lot of tropes, mm. sci-fi tropes. Yes. Which is number one, um, the, it it imagines a future world where there's still religion. So if you notice, there's this prevailing wisdom that in the future somehow or in the near future or in a future where you can where someone will invent literally how to traverse between in, throughout the multiverse um, that people will have like kind of graduated past faith. Hmm. But what we see here, and I think it's a really clever technique that uh, Makai uses that also like someone like Herbert in Dune uses, which is to imagine a future world where the answers that science can't provide, we fill in as human beings with faith. So the the concept of Naima is that, right? It's we don't understand exactly how to get we get between these worlds. Right. So we invent this kind of holy being that then answers that question for us. And it says so much about our fundamental nature as human beings. Yeah. And I think it's a much more realistic vision of the future. Yeah. Uh, which I really loved. It was that was the first thing I was like, "This is dope." This is not like most sci-fi books you'll pick up, where they imagine like an advanced civilization that no longer has a need for God. That in fact, even despite all this advanced technology, you need God. There's inequality. Mm-hmm. The ideas that the things we're dealing with, the fundamental things we're dealing with today, don't change that much, despite the kind of 
how much different the world is. That's such a fascinating insight. And it kind of speaks too to the to the chorus that you have that kind of goes throughout this book, which, you know, I mean, you, you like you've seen in Greek tragedies. I remember it in the mothers, like it pops up in a number of uh, like virgin suicides is another one that has sort of like a chorus of like unnamed people who speak. And in this one, it's about, it's about the scientists and the spiritual and how often they'll see like a new development and say, Mm -hmm. see, this proves our point, even if they have opposing points, which we actually got a voicemail. Here's Liz in Minnesota. Oh, cool. Like you were talking about in your interview with Micaiah Johnson, my favorite part of this book is the the chorus, um, the section at the beginning of every part where it talks about what scientists and people of religion, the spiritualists, say. And my favorite one is at part four, where really they're just silent, like they can't answer. Um, And it's the one that says, when asked about what this discovery could teach us about what mattered about death and human nature and how to make the world a gentler place, both parties were silent. But we were right, the scientists said. And so were we, the spiritual said. And I think especially right now, so many people want to be right that we can't figure out how to move forward. Um, And that one, it just hit me so hard because it's really, it's not about who's right. It's about what do we do next. Um, so thanks for picking this book. I can't wait to hear the discussion, like I said, and I'm really excited to find out what we are reading in February too. Bye. I just thought that was such cool insight from her, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I really love it. Cause I feel like as someone who feels like I am a woman of both faith and science mm. that, you know, like the more I learn about the world, my faith grows just as much. And, you know, like that's just how I am personally built. And mm. so, for example, if I were to get sick, I have a really great doctor who I trust. So if I were to get sick, I would put a lot of trust into her, but I would still pray about it. Right. I would still, you know. Yeah. And mm. so I think um, we often are on like, you know, polarizing ends of that way where we can't respect each other's ideas of wherever we fall in that spectrum. Mm -hmm. But both can be right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think you're right, Ramtin, that that is like a really Mm -hmm. interesting twist on tropes that we often see in sci-fi that do just kind of reject religion because we're like too advanced for that now or something, you know? Yeah. It ignores that kind of, I think, what is the basic impulse of humanity to uh, fill in answers that we can't under there's so much we don't under I mean I think the fundamental problem of humanity is we're confused so much of the time about what is going on I think we could all relate mm-hmm. to that uh, <laughs> given this last year we just experienced <laughs> what do you and it's mean? a natural human <laughs> beautiful thing to try to fill those gaps and I think it's it uh, it acknowledges that fundamental human thing yeah but I, you know there's something else you said about it being the salacious nature of the book mm. which to me breaks another trope of mm. sci-fi okay which is there's one line of it that stuck with me which uh, was when Kara describes um, being attracted to the runners and said I've dreamed of licking those teeth since Oof. before I think it was something like <laughs> since I was a teenager I dreamed of licking those silver teeth and there's so many like really deep um salacious yeah or just really human lines like that and what it reminded me of is a lot of times when people of color are portrayed in a future um they there's there's one or two ways people are particularly when you have a black woman as a protagonist you're either some kind of superhero figure who does everything perfectly all the time or you're like just the victim of Mm -hmm. uh your circumstances and kara's neither of those she's Mm -hmm. she's neither of just that she's selfish She's cynical. Mm-hmm. She is um, 
has a sense of justice in her, inside of her that she's really angry about because she knows how fundamentally unfair the world is. And all this traversing has just really constantly reminded her that whatever revolution she hopes for in her heart may well be impossible. And there's a complication in her character. She's not just presented as a simple one or the other. Mm-hmm. She's very much likable and dislikable. I mean, it's, it's really easy to dislike her at times, too. Mm-hmm. She's a complicated character who's full of all the things we're all full of. And I really appreciated that because that's not common um, in, in a lot of sci-fi, yeah. um, particularly how people of color are presented in a future world. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a really interesting insight. Ari, did you pick up on that too? Yeah, yeah. And even just how we go, like, you know, how she might, you know, feel like, okay, I really want to change the world. But then she might feel bad about some of the ways she she approaches some mm-hmm. of her planning. But then she, towards the end of the book, she's like, listen, like, I am a lion. I am I am fierce. I am. Mm. People should be afraid of me. Like, I thought that this was going to change me. This is not changing me. This is a reveal. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I have this power inside of me. And so, like, being that badass, but also still saying, you know what? But, like, I'm sorry that a version of me died mm-hmm. trying to go through here. Or, you know, like, so mm-hmm. she still deals with those very human emotions but she can say like you know what i'm gonna go for what i want and i think that the way that i have decided Mm -hmm. i want to do stuff other people might not agree with it but i'm still gonna do it so i think i i I love those Mm -hmm. layers to her and she does make you feel very you know she's very relatable in that way because that's how we go right like one day we wake up and we're like i'm ready to tackle the world (laughs) and then the next day we're like but was i a little too tough you know, was I in that meeting? Did I kind of maybe hurt someone's feel? You know, so it's like we go through that yeah. as humans. And so I love how you brought up, you know, she's not just one of these ways. She's not a victim. And just, you know, she's had so much messed up stuff happen to her. But she's like, I'm a fighter, you know, but I can still feel mm-hmm. while, while I'm a fighter. I'm not going to pretend like those things haven't hurt me or forged the person I am today, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, and it's interesting to think about, like, the trauma of her own difficult past in Earth Zero, mm. right? But then, like, yeah. the knowledge of the multiverse, the knowledge that she's died in all of those other places, the trauma of knowing that and picturing that also is just, like, kind of devastating to try to imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I also wonder, though, if there's power in that, though. Like, hmm. you know, we talk a lot. Like, I think you brought up, you know, Greta, like the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps yeah. mentality and discussion. Well, if I have died on hundreds of planets, it ain't me, y'all. You know, like you can say, like, it is not yeah. me. <laughs> it's y'all. <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean, I think it's yeah, still very right. traumatic. But like... Maybe in that space to say, like, I was born into a circumstance that just is not fair. Yeah. And you cannot tell me that it's fair because 200 something of me couldn't survive these things. I couldn't even get to a point where I could fight it. Like half the time I'm dying as a child. I can't even get to that point to Mm. perhaps fight. And as a kid, the only times that she was able, you know, when she talked about like the, the version of her who like probably couldn't climb trees Mm -hmm. like she did as a little girl. So she like walked through the streets and a couple just found her and kind of like kept her and adopted her. Right. So, you know, how many versions of her 
were, were were there no adults to do that for her to like look out for her to help her yeah. um to help her even get to the point where she can become a fighter um well and i love and, i think what you're yeah. hinting at too is the yeah. idea that like if you got nothing to lose like fuck it you know yeah mm-hmm. right yeah but oh my i think that's totally right and and think about the sense of powerlessness one would feel uh, so there's like two ways of looking at it. One is what you you both just said, basically that like fuck it, I can do whatever I want. But on the other side of that, there's also a powerlessness you might feel. But what makes Kara so amazing is even despite that knowledge, she's still down for a revolution. You know, on Earth 27, yeah. 127, she's still down to change things. And to, you know, for so much of the story, she's preserving her life. But she still finds a way to see beyond herself yes. and be willing to give sacrifice herself in that instance. So something about that kind of defiance, the power of that defiance that I just it made me like her more as a kind of central character. More on the space between worlds in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So let's do a little bit more filling in on plot points before we do some other stuff. Um, So Kara on Earth Zero, her supervisor is Del, who I kind of hinted there. Like Kara is constantly like antagonizing with and flirting (laughs) with Del. Um, Their boss is Gene. Um, They live on what they call Earth Zero, which is, I don't know, like, would you call it a futuristic version of our Earth? A dystopian version? Um, It's like... Dystopian. Yeah, it's similar but different. Um, The fancy people all live in a tower it's a place called wiley city um and if you don't live there you pretty much live in ashtown or the rurals which is where kara's from and it's you know it's the other side of the wall it's the disenfranchised folks they don't have the nice things essentially um there are uh, several really amazing reveals in this book that like completely floored me that I just like was not expecting one is only 30 pages in and that's when you realize that the Kara who's on earth zero isn't actually from earth zero because she's Mm. actually Karamenta who was born on earth 22 and she had a super sadistic boyfriend there named Nick Nick and she ended up with a huge tattoo of his name on her back and she essentially like took the other Kara's place like a bad bitch (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. What what did you think when you got to that point, Ramtin? I'm curious. Because I was just like, oh, okay. Uh, like, this is not at all what I was expecting. Yeah. So I actually felt that the first 30 pages or so came out. Kind of, I, I felt they were a little slow. But then when you hit that reveal, you're like, okay, well, we're about to go down a wormhole. And I there was something so um, alluring about that. It said so much about 
her character Mm -hmm. and how much of a survivor she was, but also how ambitious she was to get out of that situation and just how bad her situation was in the previous uh, reality she lived in, that she was willing to make this jump. It's one of those moments, I think, in a book which did so well in this one where one tiny moment, one really captured in one page, reveals so much about that character and their intentions and who they are and really lays out, gives you kind of a justification for their actions for the rest of the book. Uh, So Kara, you really understand enough about Kara to really get why she's going to make the decision she makes as she goes along. I think partly it works because she is an outsider in this Wiley City world. Like that's partly why she can get away with it is because she's she's not from there. So a lot of her like things she doesn't know, she can just sort of pass off as like being because she's not from there. Yeah. And she did mention towards the end of the book about when, you know, when they were kind of doing their final strategy to go up and she had the runners dress like maintenance people um and she was saying how like people just you know like people try not to make eye contact with Mm -hmm. with people like that right and they weren't really looking at her like that either and so um it's the idea that we've started to see more and more um Greta I know because you tweeted about it you've been watching Lupin on mm-hmm. Netflix. <laughs> and you know the whole idea about that is that like he's this yeah. black man and you seen yeah. it too you watched it too. I only watched one episode. I've so only far. seen only... two episodes. Yeah, yeah. So it's just the idea of like I only watched the first episode. Oh gotcha. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm perfect. just started. No spoilers. Um, yeah, I was I was just starting when I was getting yeah. my hair braided and I just kept like talking to my brain like, oh my gosh. Um <laughs> and so the idea that like if you are especially like a person of color you kind of blend in in this way like normally we are always fighting to be seen like I always tell this very true story but I say it jokingly but it's very true that when I was in Girl Scouts I was in like a mostly white Girl Scout troop for like maybe eight months or so and there was only one other black girl and she was dark skinned I'm light skinned we looked nothing alike and they kept calling me her name <sighs> You know, Mm -hmm. and then there's also Mm -hmm. the joke of um, in Black Lady Sketch Show where that's a whole like set of skits where it's a black woman and she's invisible. And they kept saying, how did you get in here? And she's like, I just walked through the door like nobody sees her, you know, so we keep using that. And so I think it we see it again in this book, the idea of that, like, well, if you just don't pay attention to me and I am so, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't see me, I'm going to use it to my advantage. I'm going to make it be that because you can't see me I'm more sneaky and I'm more you know crafty and I can get through places and do what I need to do so I think that that is maybe like the idea of that has we've seen it a lot in pop culture recently so I was like glad to see it here well and I think what's so cool about it is that like I think a lot of what this book does is is takes what often are things that are like tools of oppression or signs of mm. being marginalized and and she gets to use those things to her advantage. Yeah, for sure. It breaks another trope about immigrants from sci-fi uh, stories, in my view, where the because she's essentially an immigrant yeah. in, in her own. We have a sense that there's a nation, but. You know, these are people that speak the same language as her, but the the class racial differences almost make it like she's an immigrant in this place. Well, and she's waiting on a visa or whatever. And she's concerned about being able to stay. Exactly, yes. So in a way, what's fascinating about that is, so she's a victim of that system. Victim's the wrong word. 
she is subject to that kind of oppressive system that makes her this immigrant who has to be afraid about keeping her job in order to stay. But on the other hand, as you all are pointing out, it also gives her this power. So that's where I think the trope is broken, where it's not only seen as being subject to this kind of system, but also like this is the way that she survives and not only survives, this is the way that she's actually able to change or destroy uh, or really mess with the systems that are putting her in that place, which I thought, again, kind of twists that trope and plays with it a little bit. And I think what is one of the things to me that really pops um, out of the story. I mean, there's a line in it that I, like still gives me goosebumps when I think about it. I actually had to jot it down, which is towards the end where she says, sometimes to kill a dragon, you have to remember that you breathe fire too. Yes. This isn't some becoming. It's revealing. Yes. I've been a monster all along. That's the one. Yep. And, yep. and like, yep. yeah, even saying it now, goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. But there's a power in that that I think uh, just, just gives so much layering and texture to the story. But again, because I am a sci-fi head, it was refreshing. Yeah. It did things that a lot of other sci-fi books don't do. Well, yeah. And I ended up, I actually talked to Micaiah. I should have read that line to her because it's so good. But I think we got to it kind of generally anyway. But like the idea, like I think Kara in this book spends a lot of time trying to shed the parts of her that are other and trying to fit into this like fancy Wiley City world as much as possible. But when it comes down to it and when she knows she needs to win, it's actually by embracing who she really is, which is so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And the very thing, like she spends the whole book trying to like, you know, talking about like the visa and trying to be like a part of Wiley City. And really, that is the thing that saves her is that she's not. And it's like, I'm out of here. You have no jurisdiction over me. I'm deport me please okay I'm out of here um and so Mm -hmm. you know even her being able to like imagine how imagine a life where the Wiley City life is not the end-all be-all too you know when we talk about like it being a more dystopian like current thing it's kind of like I still very much live in the neighborhoods that I grew up in and I have no desire to move to maybe more higher, like, you know, traditionally Mm -hmm. higher income neighborhoods. Like I'm very happy where I am. And so I think, you know, that kind of thinks about a lot of stuff when we talk about now, like, you know, maybe moving to a different city, like in a city like Chicago, that's so segregated, like maybe moving to a different city might a part of the city or a suburb or something might be a sign of, you know, moving up classes when really maybe that's not the the path for you, you know, that you, you it may not be right. that that golden ticket that you think that it is. Well, not I don't know, mm-hmm. this might be mm-hmm. kind of different, but it sort of reminds me of people who like, uh, you know, when elections don't go the way they want, they're like, we're moving to Canada, you know? Yeah. And I always think like, I don't know, right. like maybe you should stay and try to change things so that, yeah. that it, you know, it is better. It is closer to what you think it should be as opposed to just like, eh, I'm just going to peace out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like the place that you love that has like grew you yeah, or that you've, you know, like, like in this case, Kara is clearly a fighter and she mm-hmm. knows how to navigate Ashtown in a way that many people from there don't and her ability to use that to maybe help somebody else is pretty amazing like you know like and we see at the end that she starts to show like hey my ability to move between worlds is actually um a skill and a benefit that I have that other people need and so I think that is like just when we think about like I mean on a 
small level when we think about like our community our towns our country right like these are places that we love right even if we're upset with them or upset with the way that things are going like I mean I think maybe just because I talk about Chicago all the time like I get so angry at the city of Chicago but that's because I love it right I love this place you know like like I I want America to be better because I live here and like me running away for example oh let's just go to Canada is not gonna help right the country or the place or the yeah. city or the community that I love so much, um, I'm going to have to figure out what my place is in here to make things better. And I think that, like, that's just such a good reminder is that you can't run away from that. And then the people mm-hmm. you live behind, you can't save them or help them yep. if you're just running away. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've yes. we've hinted a lot at um, Earth 175. So essentially what happens is that Kara... Um, the Kara who lived on Earth 175 was murdered, or at least that's what Kara thinks. Um, and so mm-hmm. she goes there to collect some data, but she almost dies in the transfer because it turns out the Kara there is still alive. Her name is Nalene. Um, Kara wakes up in a hospital bed and Nick Nick is taking care of her. Nick Nick, who was her like extremely abusive boyfriend in her original timeline. I don't even know if boyfriend is the right word. I mean, it was a very intense and terrifying relationship. Um, But the Nick Nick on 175 is like actually a good dude. And it turns out it's his older brother. Who's kind of like the sadistic one um, who in most worlds died when he was a kid. The older brother was named Adronic. Um, And he happens to have survived on earth 175 and when Kara meets Adronic, I think that's another one where like that reveal yeah. completely blew my mind. Like, did either of you see that coming at all? No. I didn't see it coming, but I knew that it was something up with this Adam Bosch guy. Like, yeah. I didn't think that he was Adronic. Like, I didn't think that. But I was just like, why is he like, like, like. Whenever I feel like whenever I'm reading a book or watching a movie and there's somebody that you just admire just a little bit too much, (laughs) that it's likely that there's something digging. Because especially (laughs) because, you know, in this book, it it does so such a good job of giving people layers. Yeah. You know, like nobody is just perfect. Nobody is just solely a great person. Well, especially so like, eh. like the shiniest person, you know, yeah. like it makes sense to be skeptical of that, especially in this world yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I think I thought it was just going to be like he, you know, maybe he was planning a different type of takeover. And she thought that this that the work she was doing was helping people and find out it was hurt. Like I thought it was going to be something like that. Probably. I think that was I did not guess this. <laughs> what about this you? Turn. Did you did you see that one coming? So I didn't see it coming, but the thing that I did feel like I saw coming, just like what kind of what Ari said is, I knew that something was up with mm-hmm. Bosch, and the thing, and I think it's something I, I didn't love about that reveal uh, that I thought was a little bit like um, uh, kind of predictable was that you know ultimately the conclusion here is that Bosch is like an Elon Musk mm-hmm. or like other people that in our current time the the kind of the ability or the need to want to help humanity kind of goes along with blind ambition and brutality yeah. uh, in our system, in the capitalistic system we live in. Those two things, unfortunately, are the flip side of a coin. And what it does is it brings up questions about um, 
what I love about the book is it's personal, but like the work of someone like Baldwin, it always pushes you towards the systemic. It always pushes you towards thinking about these things systemically yeah. because what it does is put Bosch in that context where this guy is working within this really fucked up world they yeah. live in, which is not a lot different than ours in some yeah. ways. Um, and he's doing very well. Yes, he's doing very yeah. well. He's very powerful. He controls this kind of like world-changing technology. And where he might think he's doing good, he's conducting himself in such a brutal way that that's, I think, something that we kind of is a is a is a is a kind of vision of the capitalist uh, that's increasing. If you see in modern media, like everything from a movie like There Will Be Blood to uh, you know to this book, it paints this picture of a person who thinks that they might be doing good or they're doing some good for themselves, but they kind of turn out to be a monster. And I love that part of it because you know something's up with mm-hmm. Bosch, as Ari said. And there's something so beautiful about bringing, like, where she actually physically sees it. Yes. Like, she sees the real yes. him. Yes. Um, visually. It's not just a metaphor. Yeah. Which I thought was really great. So this was uh, what I, I asked Micaiah at the end of the interview when I was talking to her. I was like, is there anything spoilery? that you would like to discuss that we can play in the panel discussion. And she was like, I want to talk about uh, Adam Bosch. <laughs> was so funny. She was so thrilled because she never gets to talk about that reveal because she's always doing these spoiler free interviews, like trying to get people interested in the book. So right. it was very fun to ask her about it. Um, and, and yeah, she talked a lot about how like, you know, you referenced Elon Musk. I think like Steve Jobs also in the idea of like showing up in the same like turtleneck on stage to talk about the products and yes. whatever. Um, he was also a really big influence. Let's, let's hear what Micaiah had to say. It's a fun like envision to have. And it's a fun character to write because I don't know, like I said before that people always ask me if I'm Karen, it's like, no, like my worst fear is like becoming Steve Jobs or right? becoming this like Adam Bosch where it's like you are you come from nothing or you come from a place you're terrified to go back to and so when that happens ambition licenses anything right like there is no limit because anything is okay as long as you're still moving forward as long as you're solidifying your place away from the place you're trying to distance yourself from so they really are two models of leaving behind a background and for Kara like she stops herself from crossing that line by returning to embrace like where she's from and returning to let that kind of come in. Like mm. she finds the line she's not willing yeah. to cross. And for him, he just so mm. wants to bury it that he becomes this, you know, truly evil person who like anything at all costs, you know? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I love that so much. Yes. Yeah. And even, you know, I think maybe too for me, because we are reading this or have read this during the pandemic, right? Where the 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 haves and the have nots like that line is clearer than ever yeah. you know like b- people losing jobs and immediately being pushed like below the poverty line right well, and who gets covid and who doesn't right? who gets covid and who doesn't who has access to hospitals when they do get covid and who doesn't who can actually be healed and who right. doesn't who can be mm-hmm. believed or even admitted <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and who does? And mm-hmm. at the start of it, who could even get a test? Right? Like, remember, it was all the rich right. 
people were yes. like, I test, I tested positive for COVID, but I mean, I am, you know, I have the best doctors and I am just sheltering in place in my, my multi-million mansion in dollar mansion, right? <laughs> yeah. And you have people who right. were probably sick and dying and couldn't even get a COVID test or people, you know, or the or hospitals in those neighborhoods not even having COVID tests to give people. Yeah. Nurses not even, doctors not having PPE. So we hear all of this stuff. So I think reading this, especially in this time, yeah. was really like kind of gut punching because I guess especially now we talk about like the Steve Jobs and the Jeff Bezos of the world and and you know even like Elon Musk was acting really wild during the th- so you know mm-hmm. he was making comments and so we talk about them and we think about how they're getting so much richer yeah during this time right like yeah. How many right. how many people had to buy an iPad so their kid could do e learning? Like I mean, we just we just see all these right. things where, um, and I think most of the people that we acknowledge, we do acknowledge them because they were not born as millionaires or billionaires, you know. Yeah. Um, but how you use that, you're so afraid of becoming what you once were. Yes, um, it changes how who you help, how you help what you do um, and your just everyday Mm -hmm. decisions, which is capitalism, you know, like that is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so, oh my gosh, I can't like, I'm I'm so glad she kind of left that note for us because it's so, that is, that in itself is a reveal. We're talking about reveals. That is a reveal. Yeah. I thought Mm -hmm. I hadn't Mm -hmm. quite Mm -hmm. like, I thought it was fascinating and interesting, but that the idea of like one of them abandoning their past as desperately as possible and the other one embracing it. I hadn't put that together and to hear her say it, I was just like, oh, like yes. what? That's amazing. Yes. I had not thought that they had faced um, similar choices. Right. The way that um, she just laid out, which to, it's just kind of making, it's, it's blowing my mind a little bit because I'm kind of now looking back at Kara's decision at the end or where she ends up, which we, well, I'm sure we'll talk about in yeah. a second, differently, right? Because you realize that like, all along throughout the story, there's so many hints and and pieces of beautiful writing that that bring you back to how much Kara does love where she's from yeah. and how much she looks at the people who raised her and sees them and sees their humanity, even though she wants nothing else, not, does not want to go back. So that, you know, bringing those themes together says so much about the difference between these two people, um, Bosch and Kara. And I, I love that. That was really fun to hear. I rarely get to hear an author say something like that after I read their book, right? right? Um, so that's that's really great. Yeah, That kind of reminds me of a voicemail we got from Allie in Chicago. I found The Space Between Worlds to be fast-paced and really enjoyable. And it also really reminded me of what I like about sci-fi and a little bit of fantasy, but especially with sci-fi, I feel like writers use um, these different worlds to examine questions of humanity that are difficult to like fully explore in our own real life. Um, What I am thinking of specifically here is how your choices and environment affect your personality and if they do or not and the extent of that. Uh, And the question of, is there a core that is unchangeable, which I felt like the general consensus of the book was that, yes, people are generally at their core, the one person that they are. Um, But 
the characters of Nick Nick and her stepfather, um, both in Earth Prime and 175, their differences seemed a lot greater than just more superficial differences. I'm not sure on where I stand if I think that people are essentially who they are, and even if we had multi-universes and could access them, if I would be the same person on all universes or not, um, I don't know what I think, but I really enjoy thinking about that. Um, so that was fun. Thank you. And I am looking forward to the discussion. Bye. It's a pretty great question, isn't it? What an observation. Um, it, it's, <laughs> I, I've, I've wrestled with that too. Not just on the score of are we who we are, but there's a passage fairly early on in the book where Kara's talking to the doctor that's kind of doing the intake as she's coming back from one of mm-hmm. her uh, trips where she says um, that basically she says to Kara, those aren't they're not different worlds. They're the same world with just different paths taken. Mm-hmm. And Kara responds, is that how you see it? Uh, because Kara then points out that like you're alive on all the worlds. That's why you're stuck here. Right. Like it's easy for you to see it that way, that they're all just different paths taken. Right. And it kind of opens up the door for this fundamental notion that like, nah, that that isn't what it is. It's that each person is living in this system. So you end up, despite all the different twists and turns you can take, you end up in the same place. And here's why that really appeals to me. Because when you look at the statistics on this stuff in our current world, in the world we live in right now, um, where you're born into in terms of class is most likely where you're going to end up. Now, would I like teach my kid that? I have a five-year-old son as a fundamental thing to hold in his heart. No, because I don't want him to think he's limited. However, as a citizen of of this planet we live on, I can acknowledge that in almost every place on this globe, that is the case. And there's a kind of beautiful acknowledgement of that by Johnson in that fundamental thread she creates in the book. So I, I agree with the caller, but I also disagree that it's less about personally who you are. And more about what the system does to each person. That even though you may take small, there may be small changes, where you end up is dictated a lot by the entire world you're born into. That the world has huge impacts on our lives and often puts up barriers that are insurmountable no matter what. And it's something really important to take into consideration for all of us. And I think if people in government thought that way, they would probably be more um, likely to take immediate, more radical action to change some of the ways the system is right now. Ariane, you're nodding emphatically. Yeah, yeah, because I think it just really touches on so many of the conversations that we have, right? Um, you know, like, would I be me? Or, you know, what what would my path look like? Even the options you have, yeah. Right, what are what would my mm-hmm. options be if there weren't just so small, like these small changes yeah. that have set a path before me, right? Like, what options my parents had and then how that, you know, affects my options and then the options that their parents had. And like, you know, looking back and I think I don't I don't know why I think but just maybe because I'm just in this period of like really self-reflection, like kind of how our like ancestral lines, how that can have like how we are in this place today, wherever mm-hmm. we are, because of like other op- like what were yeah. the options for the other people? Right. Yeah. You know, like I think about like my grandma moved to Chicago because she was like, I was just sick and tired of picking cotton. Right. What if she wasn't sick and tired? Yeah. Yeah. What options would I have had? What yeah. options would my mother have had if she was still grown up in the same town, right? Like, what 
what different, you know, things would she have made? And so it's like these are just all these things. And we see that in Kara, right? Like the very small differences, like maybe, well, the Kara Menta who this Kara replaced, mm-hmm. um, her mother in this world was you know kind of about like trying to get her life together Mm -hmm. and you know she married like into spirituality Mm -hmm. and that gave her kind of a place in the world maybe that caraminta wouldn't have been that caraminta to even be be a traverser in the first place if her mother hadn't have made those choices for her because like the other Kara's that we have seen, they all, so many of them died because of the choices of her mother. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, and then the responsibility that we have, it makes me maybe think more about the responsibility that I have for future people Mm -hmm. in my family because I, maybe a small choice I make for me could perhaps set them up to have more choices. And so I think it's, it's not necessarily our choices it's the kind of options that are set up for us but we can be appreciative of those past options um so i so it's like i see i see very much where the caller is coming from but for me it kind of like flips it a little bit to mm-hmm. think about like what i do have in my control for the future versus like some of what was in the past may not have been me it was other people Absolutely. who gave me those options maybe that's a that's a beautiful point. I, and I think the for me, the yes, I completely agree with that. And I think the thing that the one piece of evidence I draw from here and from the book to point that I really think it's a it's such a well done uh, kind of laying out a world where systemic uh, issues keep people in the places they're in is the fact that like the Kara that does the best in all these scenarios is Kara of Earth 225 who's abducted uh, and uh, basically by by like uh, basically an act of human rights violation <laughs> yeah. is the reason why she ends up in a better situation yeah. so that no matter what it's all her life is shaped by these forces that were out of her control before she was born and i just that that was always the thing that stuck out to me i'm like in all these scenarios the one who does the best off is the one who's abducted as a child um and so i i thought that 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 really like hammered home for me that that larger point about where our lives fit into the larger structures that we live in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're, I think we're close to talking about the end. Um, we have one more voicemail and it's about the end. Andrea from Arizona actually took issue with it. So let's listen to it and then we can discuss. First of all, I loved the book. The characters were so nuanced, their relationships even more. So the setting was super evocative. I loved it. My one thing, though, was the ending. And I wonder if you or anyone agrees. The book was so violent and visceral throughout the whole thing. And I thought it was leading up to this, like, graphic ending full of blood and explosions and pain and reckoning. And then... Like, Dell came in, and Kara's life was saved by, like, the immigration paperwork got filed and the HR complaint, and then it was too happy. I just wondered if that left anyone else feeling wanting. Or maybe you think there's a sequel or a series in the works. Anyway, love the show, love the book club. Thank you. 
I was not frustrated by the ending. I think mm. in some ways it was kind of a nice reprieve where it was just sort of like, sh- like, cause it was so violent and visceral throughout that to have kind of like a fun surprise curveball of an ending. I, I don't think I was bothered by, but I'm curious. What did you think? Ariane? Let's start with you. I mean, I liked it because I felt like there was so much pain already. Right, right. You know, like there was so much pain that already happened. There were so many, like it started off with understanding that there had been so much death. So for me, it was like, I think, you know, kind of going back to when we were talking about how you being you, like how something that could maybe have been weaponized against you can work for your good. You know, I think, you know, we were talking about that earlier. And so that's kind of how I view the ending is like, look, the very thing that you've been fighting against can perhaps be the thing that also saves you. So (laughs) I kind of saw it as that. Bureaucracy Um, saves the day. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like, you know, you want to be a Wiley City, you know, citizen, you know, because I think it was a few places where she would mention, like, if I do this, then I can get full citizenships. But I'm just on a visa, so I can't do this yet. And so it's like, girl, you probably don't even want to be a Wiley City citizen because now you're. 100% 100% under Adam Bosch and like you probably would rather just be under Nick Nick at this point mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. um, you know how to navigate that system so what did you think Rumteen? you know these things are relative if you had asked me this question and I'd read this book six years ago seven eight you years been ago like, Burn it. I oh. probably would have felt a little <laughs> no no <laughs> no I would have I felt like the caller did uh, that, 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 that the ending maybe was a little too much of a bright spot however mm-hmm. Given the fact that I've read a bunch of sci-fi books and watched a lot of sci-fi movies in the in-between, between those two mm-hmm. periods, I think in a way this this went against the trend of a lot of sci-fi books, which is to go the way of like the kind of tragic hero that ends up with a fiery or heroic death. Um, or not heroic, but in some ways subtly heroic. So I'll give you an example of this from a film, like Children of Men, one of my favorite um, sci-fi dystopian films. Uh, you have in that movie, uh, just like kind of Carrie, you have a reluctant hero um, who is in basically trying to preserve themselves for most of the book, but ends up taking a turn towards like selflessness so that's at some point. Yeah. And then so that's similar. But then you have that person just giving up their life in a kind of hero- classic heroic form. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this instance, uh, a choice was made to, to live. A choice was made to try to make something out of the ruins of of both failed and unfailed revolutions. And there's something about seeing that story through to the other side and seeing what life becomes after the action that is, uh, I think, unique, interesting, and also refreshing in lots of ways, but also gives us kind of like human quality to the end instead of just feel like walking away feeling completely devastated. Yeah. Because let's, let's be real, this is largely a pre-pessimistic book. <laughs> In the in the vein of Octavia mm-hmm. Butler, I think, yeah. in the sense that Octavia Butler sets out a future world for you that's not that great. It's a pretty bleak look on yeah. humanity and the soul yeah. of humans. And what I thought about the ending was that ultimately we want to be happy. We want to reach some kind of level of fulfillment and find love in our and lives. Like sit in a garden and look around. And find a quiet yeah. life. Yes. And and um, there is that fundamental desire in us all that I think is the cause of a lot of our anxiety and depression in the modern yeah. world. And it's an acknowledgement of that. So in a way, I think, given all the books that have and films that have come out recently, I thought this this was surprising for me. I thought it was going to go the way of like a tragic, heroic mm-hmm. death mm-hmm. for Kara. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you mentioned Octavia Butler, because I just actually for the first time, I'm like 
clearly decades and decades late, but I just read Kendrick Kendrick for the wow. first time. Um, over the summer and so I had got to a point like when you you know when you talk about a book that's really pessimistic I had got to the point where where by the time I got to the end I said listen (laughs) if I I cannot handle anymore like I I can't like I just cannot handle any more pain like you have beaten me down to the ground and I still don't have a happy ending so like sometimes we need a little song like even if so for me just even a like a we don't, you know what? This this could not be so bad. Like that that's cool with me because <laughs> yeah. when when I get the tragic, you know, like you were talking about, like the tragic, um, I have sacrificed all of me for the greater good. Like right. we shouldn't have to always do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I think that's in a way that creativity and originality of the ending of this book bucks against those trends, which I really enjoy. I love I love originality and creativity, and wherever. Uh, that spark shows up in a piece of art. I have to, we have to like lift it up and yeah. celebrate it. And I thought in this instance, given all the stuff that's out right now, this book had a really fantastic original yeah, ending. Yeah, totally. So every month we like to do, we have like a completely arbitrary rating system for the books. I think for this one, we should do Earths. Between one and 380 mm. Earths seems like a good okay. rating system. <laughs> okay. 380 is a lot. Like, what is a good score? At 380? <laughs> I mean, 380 um, out of 380 <laughs> is a good score. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> I try to think, like, what's 90%? Um, I'm going to give this a 370. 370. Out of 380, so it's probably higher I was, than, I was out of 90 say, yeah. I, I love it. I love this book um, for all the reasons we talked about. And one of the things I didn't mention is what one of the best titles for a book yes. in terms of its uh, connection to the content because this this story is about the space between literally between yes. worlds, but also between the worlds we live yeah. in, between people and their relationships yeah. at every level. Yeah. Um, and it reminded me of God of Small Things by Aundati huh. Roy in some ways, because what that book does is it takes the personal relationships, the experiences people have and the weight power um, uh, acts within a relationship and then takes that out to the societal level. So it's like telling you a story about bigger themes so I really love this book for that reason. I thought it was really uh, one of my favorite sci-fi books I've read in the last five years, oh. 10 years. Um, so I was surprised by how much I loved it. So th- I'm going with 370. I'm glad to hear that. Ari, what do you think? Okay, so I actually would give it hmm, 375 worlds out of 380, which, yeah. I mean, it's still an A, right? Like... 99%. Um, but that was really only because I did have some trouble remembering which world was which, especially after she traveled to more and more. Right. So, you know, is this the world where Nick Nick is good or is this the one where he's bad? So um, that is the only reason why I would give it 375. Besides that, a pretty perfect book in, in my eyes, at least. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I think I'm just going to give it a whole ass 380 Earths. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nice. I, I was like, good for you. No, I was like, I like was like three seventy because then three eighty is like the perfect book. And I was like, should I do? That? Oh, I mean, no, but I'm I would not it. argue with a three eighty. I would not. I would not argue with a three eighty. It was really that good. For the record, I pulled out I'm my free. calculator, and three seventy out of three eighty is ninety seven percent. Just so you know. Wow. Okay, I'm comfortable <laughs> with that. I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> okay. Good.
Ramteen Arablui, host of NPR's Throughline podcast, and Ariane Nettles, Northwestern lecturer and great friend. What delightful humans. So many thanks to both of them for bringing such great insights to this book. And of course, thanks to those of you who sent us voicemails, Liz, Ali, Claire, and Andrea. It was great to hear from you, as always. You are probably dying to know what our February book club pick is. And I'm actually going to tell you right now, right this second, it's about to happen. Are you ready? Get your pen out or whatever. For February, we are going to be reading Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. That means you can hear the author conversation with Ruman on February 9th. And then we'll have the book club chat on February 23rd. I hope you hang with us. We would love it. The show is produced by me along with Justin Bull. And our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. We will see you next month. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.